Welcome back to season two of Between the Lines, our podcast for middle schoolers all about books. From the newest releases to under the radar reads to the latest in YA news, get it all here. I'm Jen Duell from Richmond Public Library. And I'm Barbara Haas from Richmond Public Schools. We are so excited to be back for a second season and have some exciting things planned for you. As always, each month we will be featuring a new middle school student as our co-host. And this month's guest co-host is Nick. Nick, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Nick. I am 13 and I go to St. Michael's School. One thing about myself is that I play travel soccer for the Richmond Kickers. That's awesome. I have become a bigger soccer fan because of Ted Lasso. (laughs) Yes, I love that show. We're so excited to have you with us this month. This is episode 10 of Between the Lines, our podcast dedicated to books for middle schoolers. We've got some really great books to talk to you about today. We'll be covering our current reads, books about survival, and some YA news. All right, I am so excited to kick this season off. Just as we did last season, we're going to start out with talking about the books that we're currently reading. And so Barbara, would you like to tell us what you're currently enjoying right now? Actually, I changed what I'm currently reading from what I had originally planned to talk about because I really just wasn't into the book that I was currently reading. So I started a new one. So I am currently reading Bluebird by Sharon Cameron. And Sharon Cameron wrote Rook which I love, but this is like a totally different kind of book. So it is the story of two young German girls told in alternating voices. One voice is of a young Nazi woman whose father is a high ranking Nazi official, and she is being raised to be a good German daughter and very loyal to the party. And the other voice is of a young German girl who is immigrating to America And we don't know a lot about her except that she has a secret and she's traveling with a friend who is so traumatized that she doesn't even speak. So I decided to read this book after hearing Sharon Cameron talk about it. And I do love historical fiction, but she was talking about the research she did on Powell House, which I had heard of Powell House before, but I didn't realize exactly what it was. And it was a house. It was owned by a very wealthy woman who gave it to the Quakers and they allowed immigrants escaping World War II in some form. They lived there free of charge, but they also did job training and language services. And they had social events where everybody would come together. And it was an opportunity to, you know, practice your English and get to know people from different walks of life. Everybody was welcome to Powell House. Jewish people, Black people, people with disabilities, people who are really being persecuted in Europe were all welcome at Powell House. So I thought that part of it was just really fascinating to me and I wanted to learn more about it. And as usual, I think uh, Cameron does a great job of introducing the characters and really invested in all of them. And I'm really enjoying it. I love it very much, but it's really hard to read because what happened in World War II, it's just heartbreaking. So I will say I'm very invested, but it's a hard read, but I think a really important read. I'm interested to see how these two voices come together. I have some ideas, but I'm not entirely confident that I'm right yet. So I'm very much enjoying it and very engaged in what's going to happen. That sounds really good. There are so many good books about World War II. 
I also love historical fiction, but I found that at certain points I have to take a break because it is such a heavy topic and it, it is, like you said, heartbreaking. And so while it's important to revisit and learn from those stories, you do sometimes have to give your heart a little break from it and take a yeah. take a step I, back. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the format where she tells it in alternating voices kind of does that because one voice is describing the horrors and the other voice is kind of past that. So the friend that she's traveling with who has this trauma, I mean, you know, instinctively that, you know, these horrors that she witnessed or experienced were part of that trauma, but you don't really know how that's going to unfold. And it doesn't really describe it on those alternating voices. So you hear one horrific explanation and then you get, you do kind of get a break. So I think that that was probably intentional on Cameron's part too, because it was all describing the horrific events and it would be too much. It would be too heavy. Nick, are you a fan of historical fiction? I actually am. I'm a big fan. I have read, well, uh, Mrs. Carpenter actually picked me. I can't remember the name of the book. I read it in sixth grade and it was a really good historical fiction book. Oh, Punching the Air, I think it was. And I really liked the book because it was an easy read because it was in verse. Mm -hmm. But when I read into it and looked up what it was about, it was kind of a really grim topic about the Central Park Five. It really got me interested in how they got accused of all of the crimes and why they didn't do tests to see that it wasn't actually like the people that were accused. Yeah, I guess the hope is that we read these stories and we learn from the mistakes of people in our past so that we don't repeat them again. So that's a good one. I think that one's by E.B. Zaboy. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Barbara, I'm curious. Powell House? Where is it located? So it's no longer in existence. It was in New York City. There is a Powell House now that is run by the Quakers that has a similar mission. I think they do substance abuse counseling and it's still a place of refuge, but it's no longer in New York City. I believe it's somewhere else in New York State. I don't want to say because I don't don't know for sure, but it's in a more rural area. If I'm remembering correctly, when I was listening to Sharon Cameron, I think Mrs. Powell, who owned the house for some reason... And I I can't remember what it was, either had to sell the house or they had to move to a different location. I've already added it to my Goodreads list. Do you think um, that's something that you might be interested in as well, Nick? Um, Yes, definitely. I do find it interesting to definitely look up and find kind of the backstory of what happened in books. Absolutely. Well, Nick, you're currently reading something in a similar vein, I think, aren't you? Yes. I am currently reading Persepolis, The Story of a Childhood by Marjane Satrapi. Um, So in the beginning of the book, Margie is a very young and intelligent girl who is living with her parents during an Islamic regime. And she struggles to cope with the changes brought by the regime who force girls to wear veils and separate the girls from the boys during school. She also meets one of her friend's dads who was forced to go into prison just by... I guess, celebrating a religion that was not allowed by the regime. And her friend thought of her dad as a hero because he stood up to the people who were forcing people to change religions. And that kind of made her have a jealous feeling that, oh, I want someone in my family to be a hero. And she kind of wanted something bad to happen to her family in order for her to feel like her family had a hero in it. 
I really feel like this book gives a real life situation that many people would never have thought existed in the real world. People being forced to wear things, being forced to be separate from different genders. And there are a lot of very horrible topics that the book talks about and horrible things that happen to the people there. It's a graphic novel, right? Yes. Yeah, I was assigned that when I was in library school. I took a very cool course on graphic novels and read some of what people would consider classics. And that one's considered a classic. And so I really enjoyed it. But I'm curious what you think, Nick. Do you think the fact that it was in graphic novel format helped or hindered the author's ability to portray sort of these horrific things that are happening? I really feel like it helped because it gives you an image of what it was like to be there in the moment and actually see what is happening to all of these people and show that these things are actually happening and it's not just written down in a book. I agree with you, Nick. And I think especially on topics that we don't know a lot about, it's hard for us to imagine what a young Iranian girl looks like if mm -hmm. we've never seen one before. So I agree with you in that, especially on topics that we're just not all that familiar with. What was your takeaway, Jen, when you did it in school? Yeah. I loved it. And there's a follow-up story. I, I believe there's a sequel to it as well. And I thought it was great. We also had to read Mouse, which is another classic based around World War II, where the characters are mice and the Nazis are cats. And it's similar, you know, people have, I don't want to say everyone, but there are a lot of people that have sort of a negative feeling towards graphic novels. I've heard people say they don't consider them quote unquote real books. And I could not disagree more. I think just what you were saying, Nick, they have the ability to portray things in a way that traditional novels cannot. And even though these two are graphic novels and fewer words than a traditional novel, if you look through them and look at the illustrations and the facial expressions of the characters and what they're going through, and the illustrator does such an amazing job of just conveying the emotion and the pain sometimes, but also the hope through their images. And I just couldn't imagine that story being told any other way. I thought it was really great. Wow. You know, it's ironic, but I feel like all three of the books that we're reading currently have very similar themes in them. I'd love to jump into what I'm reading right now, which is Black Canary Breaking Silence by Alexandra Monier. And this is one of the books in the DC Icon series. It's number five, and they're all done by different authors. And they're all about different DC superheroes. So you don't have to read them in order, but they've done Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Catwoman, and then this one, which is the origin story of Black Canary. I'm about halfway through it right now. I'm listening to it, but it's the story about Dinah Lance, aka Black Canary. And I have to say, I'm not really as familiar with her as some of the other DC superheroes. So it was interesting to kind of dive into this, but she lives in Gotham, but it's considered like a near future time period. And in this Gotham, all the superheroes have either been killed or driven off by this ruling patriarchal body called the Court of Owls. And lo and behold,
behold, the court of owls is led by the penguin. They have very strict rules where women, they've basically taken away all their rights and their voice. That um, is very much mirroring Nick's book. So yes. cool. <laughs> yes. So when the court of owls kind of came in to try to take over Gotham and overthrow the superheroes, it was actually the women who were the loudest protesters in this transitional period, using their voice and singing to try to squash this new ruling body that was coming in. But they invented this way to rid them of their voices and were able to overtake the city. So women can't sing. They have to wear dresses. They have to do like traditional homemaking type activities. They can't take on any leadership roles. And all of these are enforced by like a, a police body called the Talons, who are very scary group of individuals. So Dinah is a teenager. She's in high school and her father is part of the police. So not the Talons, but just the police in the area. And he really wants her to just stay safe, keep her head down, go with the flow, follow the rules. But Dinah has this voice and this ability to sing or this desire to sing that she just can't seem to quiet. So the book is about her struggle of kind of talking about what you were talking about, Nick, about, you know, being a hero in these situations. Well, being a hero is really scary. You know, you're putting yourself in really dangerous positions. And so she's struggling with what to do. The book deals a lot with human rights, censorship, oppression, propaganda, and how that's used to control people. Even though it's set in like a DC universe, so it's a comic type universe, it feels very real. There's some things that are happening that mirror some of the things we're actually seeing today, which I'll talk about a little bit later in our YA news section. So it's cool. I think it's a way to broach these topics with people that might not want to read historical fiction, that might be more into a fantasy type book, but still would benefit from learning about these things. So I'm enjoying it. What a great point, Jen. And like we all are reading books that have a message to send in three different formats. Mm -hmm. So cool. Love it. We must all be, um, I don't know, interested in those topics too. They're timely, I think. Yes, they are. I did write in my notes. Sometimes I think we need a reminder of our history so that we are not doomed to repeat it. And I think all of our books talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Are you a fan of the DC comics at all? I know you like graphic novels, Nick, but do you like comic books as well? I definitely used to be more into comics. Definitely eighth grade. I kind of stopped reading them and I started reading more wordy books. Mm -hmm. But I definitely like sometimes to go back to books that have pictures in it, kind of like graphic novels. Yeah, I think this series is cool because it takes some of the characters that, you know, you might have been introduced to when you were younger and loved when you were younger, but then it puts it in a novel format and it builds out their stories even more. And so it's kind of like a comic book for the older reader. Are they written in graphic novel format? No. no. And like I said, each book is written by a different author. So they actually have some pretty famous authors like Lee Bardugo wrote The Wonder Woman. Ooh. 
wrote Batman, Sarah J. Moss wrote Catwoman, and Matt De La Pena wrote Superman. So oh my gosh, authors. Okay, yeah. I'm reading all of them. They're all going on my list. So I feel like our topic or our theme for this episode fits perfectly in with all the books that we were reading currently too, although we have a different set of books for the theme. Do you want to tell us about our theme, Barbara? Yes. So we are going to be talking about survival stories today, which was picked by Nick. Thank you, Nick, so much for picking this topic. You know, I always feel like our youth are our champions, right? Like it's always so nice to see them tackle a challenge and and come out on the other side. So really excited to be talking about this today. Thank you so much, Nick. And because you are guest co-host and you chose the topic, would you mind starting us out today? Okay. The book that I chose for survival stories was Crazy for the Storm, a memoir of survival by Norman Ollieston. The book starts off with Ollieston as a very young boy and his parents getting in an argument and divorcing after a few weeks. He grows up with his dad on a house by the beach and he really struggles because his dad and his mom never meet anymore and he doesn't ever see his mom. But he kind of copes with that being able to surf because his dad put him on a surfboard when he was really, really little. When he gets to the age of, I think it was 14, his dad starts putting him on skis and puts him into competitions. Once they went on a competition to California and their plane was flying through the San Gabriel Mountains and out of nowhere, they hit a mountain and crashed. Ollie Stid found his dad and his dad had unfortunately died and he needed to find a way with, I think it was his dad's fiance and get down the mountain. Him and his dad's fiance were on their way down to camp where they saw a lit fire when his fiance slipped and fell down an ice chute. He then needed to slowly slide down using a stick to grab into the ice. Once he got to the bottom, he never saw his fiance. I found that this book really put me on the edge of my seat. It gives you like a crazy ride through life or death situations that happened in real life. It just gives you a feeling of like, wow, this person really went through a lot. Wow, that's amazing. Did you say how old he was? I'm pretty sure he was 14 at the time. Wow. And how old are you, Nick? I am 13. Can you imagine doing something like that in one year? No, I I could not imagine that at all. But I would be willing to bet if you or any of us were in that situation where it was life or death, we would be able to do great things too. Things that we never thought we could do. I do think that's true. I think that you don't know what you're capable of until you're put in a situation. And part of the scary part of that story is that it was real, right? Like you hope you never have to be in that situation and you hope that your survival instincts would kick in. I guess this guy had some good survival instincts. (laughs) Yes. Well, my book that I wanted to share with you about a story for survival is a little different. It's not maybe as intense. It's not one episode of extreme danger or survival, but more a longer period of time for the main character. So my book is called Born Behind Bars by Padma Venkatraman. And it's set in Chennai, India. And it's about a little boy named Kabir. And Kabir was born in jail. His mother was falsely accused. She used to clean houses in India. And she was falsely accused of stealing something out of one of the homes while she was pregnant. And they just jailed her. 
the practice there is that the baby stays with the mom in prison for years even. So Kabir basically grows up in prison. He gets a little bit of an education through one of the uh, women that's in prison there who takes on the role of teacher. And then all the other women are sort of his caregivers. So he really only knows this life. And in his mind, it's not a terrible life because he has people that love and care about him. But in all honesty, he's being starved. He's not getting medical care. He's having to sleep on the floor. It's not a great life. When he is nine years old, a new warden takes over the prison and decides that he needs to go. And so the warden does his, I want to say due diligence, but that's being generous and finds a long lost family member who says that Kabir is his uncle, but in fact turns out to be a fraud. And so they release Kabir into this man's custody. And instead of taking care of him, he actually intends to sell him into child slavery. So Kabir figures this out. And before he's able to be sold, he escapes. But now he's on the streets and he's just forced to fend for himself. He has to beg for his food. He has nowhere to live. He's just on his own. And then one day while he is begging for food, he meets another young street kid named Ronnie. And Ronnie lives on the street, or actually she lives in a tree. That's where she's most comfortable with her parrot. And they form a great pair that kind of depend on each other for survival because they're both young and taking care of themselves. So they devise this plan that they're going to find Kabir's long lost father. And, and to do so, they have to travel to another distant part of India. And so the story is sort of about this journey for them. And and how they do it with two kids just on their own. So it's definitely written maybe I would say for the younger middle school age group, but that's not to say that an older middle school student would enjoy it because it's a really great story. The characters are just really endearing and you fall in love with them. And it also teaches you a lot about India and the culture there. They have a caste system, so it's almost like a hierarchy of where you fall, where you know there are people at the top and there are definitely people at the bottom. And where you fall can be determined by your cultural heritage. It can be term determined by your religion. And so it talks a lot about that. There's a lot of persecution for people, a lot of racism. So there are a lot of heavy topics in this book, but it's a really beautiful story. I really enjoyed it. And like I said, it's kind of a slow burn. It's kind of like this long story of survival for Kabir and his friend Ronnie, but it's a really good one. So I would recommend it. Is it a true story? It's not true, but it was well-researched. So it is right. based on things that really do happen in India and that still happen in India. Like you were saying earlier about Persepolis, Nick, it's amazing that these things happen in our world. And a lot of us are totally ignorant to that fact. And the only way we get exposed to that sometimes is through reading these books. And so it's very eye-opening to the stuff that kids a little bit younger, a little bit older than us really go through. That is amazing to me. Like I wrote down a question because I didn't want to interrupt. How long was she in prison? for if she's falsely accused of stealing something like when he was nine obviously she was still in prison so she was in prison for at least nine years for a crime that she didn't commit right like, she couldn't afford a lawyer so she basically was put there indefinitely they don't have the same rules that we have you know where you're entitled to a trial or you're entitled to representation by a lawyer or any of those things so and you're basically considered guilty you know here supposedly you are considered innocent until found guilty. And it's really the opposite there. Wow. I wondered too, if the cast, 
system has something to do with that. I mean, I guess it does if you're in a lower class then you can't afford a lawyer. And very interesting to me as well, some of the similarities between India and the United States of America. And if you can't afford a lawyer in the United States of America, it's kind of the same sentencing. Yeah. Whew, that's yeah. some heavy stuff right there. What book did you pick, Barbara, for your survival story? So I picked Dry by Neil Schusterman, which I wanted to say, I mentioned this book on our very first podcast where we talked about scary books. And this is the scariest book I've ever read in my life. But it wasn't the, it wasn't the same, like, it's not a horror story. It is a story about global climate. And it's just entirely fiction, but very close to home, very close to the truth. So California has literally run out of water. And this is personal to me because I grew up in Arizona. I lived there from when I was about four and we moved to Virginia when I was 15. So I spent that whole time living with water restrictions. And even though I live in Virginia now where water isn't so much of an issue, in fact, we often have floods and we live on the James River. Some of those habits I still carry with me today, such as I always turn off the water when I'm brushing my teeth. If I have leftover water in a glass, I will use it to water my plants. And honestly, it's horrifying to me that we flush potable water. Our whole sewer system is drinkable water. And not that any of us want to drink from the toilet like our animals sometimes do. And that comes up in this book. So this is a survival story. Alyssa is the main character. Her parents have gone missing, presumed dead. California has erupted in riot. People are fighting over, over water bottled water, toilet water. People are filling up their tubs with water. The drought has come to an extreme head. And so Alyssa has to save herself and her little brother. And they're looking for her parents, trying to get to a place where there is water. They're trying to get to a lake, even though the lakes are all dried up as well. It is just the story of their survival, the people that they meet along the way, the decisions that she has to make to save herself and her brother. I feel like in similar to the book that Nick was talking about, who do you save? Like, who are you? And I'm just thinking about the fiance who, you know, slides off the rock and then he's on his own. You meet people along the way and which might be different from Nick's book, but you form an alliance, but in the end, you know, who do you have that allegiance to? And it's some really tough choices. And this is a long book. It's almost 400 pages, but it's such a quick read. Every chapter is fast paced. She's having to make some decisions about her survival. And I just find it frightening and scary and a commentary on where we're headed, quite honestly, which is the scariest thing of all. I mean, people are starting to talk about that more and more about climate change and taking care of our environment and specifically our water. VCU does a common book every year for their incoming freshmen, and they did a book called Rise. I don't remember the author off the top of my head, but she talks about the Chesapeake, which is very near to us, as well as various other bodies of water around the country. And I'll put it in the show notes once I remember the author. Actually, it's right here. Dispatches from the New American Shore by Elizabeth Rush. And so, I mean, people are talking about it. It's becoming more of a concern, rightfully so. We're even going to have an exhibit about climate change and its effect on water at the main library in March. So that can be something that you check out if you're interested in that topic. I think that people who live in a place where water has always been available, you just don't get it. 
it's a case, I think, of you don't know what you don't know. But I think we are now not just water, but climate change in general. You know, it is getting a voice. I feel the urgency. And I don't know, maybe you can speak to this, Nick, your generation. Do you feel a sense of urgency about climate change? I definitely do, because you see on the news all the time how all of your, like, I saw this one news report saying by a certain date, all of Disney's characters would be extinct, which to me is just like mind blowing because they grew up with all these characters and then you might live past when all of them in the real world are gone. Yeah. We think about we need water to drink and I don't know, I can't think off the top of my head, you can live five days without food, but only two days without water. But this really shines a light of you need water to wash. If you can't wash, then you open up yourself for disease. Clean water, like there's so many different uses for water that I think sometimes we just don't think about. Boy, we've hit on some heavy stuff today. I know. And I think it's just going to get heavier. I was about to say that. So I picked a not light topic for my YA news either. And normally my YA news is very light. Yeah. I do want to say though, these are really important topics. And Nick, I want to thank you for having these discussions with us because yes, heavy, but wow, so important. Definitely. And really kudos to you for reading and thinking about these things at your age too, for sure. Yay, Nick. (laughs) All right, so we're getting close on time. So I'm going to dive into YA News. And I have to say, this is a topic that I could talk about for a long time time. And there's a lot to say, especially right now, and we could get into a big debate. But I think (laughs) what I would like to do is I would just like to present the facts or present some food for thought and then let our listeners take that away and kind of mull it over and form their own opinions. Okay. So today I want to talk about censorship and school libraries. And this is something that I know Barbara and I know a lot about, but Nick, I'm not sure if as a student, you know, some of the things that are going on recently. I would say maybe over the past six months, we have seen a huge uptick in parents and guardians challenging books in school libraries. And what that means challenging is they are going to school administration and they're saying these books are not appropriate for a school library. We want them taken out. So this is happening really all over the United States. I got a little statistic from ALA, which is the American Library Association, their office for intellectual freedom says that there have been 155 incidents across the country since June 1. So that's a lot. What really hit home for me is it was happening in the county just south of where I grew up from in Spotsylvania County. So this one really, I guess, made it very uh, personal where um, there were a couple books that parents had an issue with and the school board voted to take them out and it has now gone back and that they're putting them back into the libraries because they felt that what they were doing was unconstitutional. And two of the school board members actually on record said that these books should be burned. And a parent actually created a Facebook event for a book burning party in Spotsylvania County. So just an hour north of us. You may or may not know, but book burnings have a really dark history going all the way back to the Nazis. It's a tool for censorship, just like we were talking about in some of our books for what we're reading now is it's they use it to oppress people. They use that as a tool or a weapon to oppress people. And a lot of the books that are being targeted currently are written by folks who are traditionally marginalized in our society. Authors of color, LGBTQ authors, just anybody
somebody that they wouldn't consider sort of more mainstream. And people are saying that they are inappropriate, but the question is really, are they inappropriate or do they go against some people's viewpoints? Our library, we have very clear policies. We have procedures that we follow when we both order books to add to our system, to our collection, and when we take books out. And we also have a clear procedure that we have to follow if somebody challenges a book. And what's scary is some of these school systems are not following those. They're just pulling them out without really doing their due diligence of, you know, following that process. And so libraries stand for, we believe in the right for everyone to read. We believe in the right for everyone to be able to read books that reflect them and their personal experiences. We are against censorship. So all of these things, of course, are very disturbing. And in some cases, as we've seen with other things sort of recently, and what you were saying, Barbara, earlier is that the young people are stepping up and using their voices and saying, this isn't right. We deserve the ability to read books that reflect us, books that reflect our experiences. So it's a lot going on. All you have to do is search for it in the news, book banning, book challenges, censorship in schools, and you'll find article after article after article of this happening across our country. And so I would encourage our listeners, especially our young listeners, to do a little research and look into that and really think about what is your opinion on that? How do you feel? How does it make you feel? what's going on right now? What is your stance? And kind of go from there. Talk to your family about it. Talk to your friends about it. It's an important issue. So I'll kind of leave it at that because I know at least Barbara and I feel very passionate about it. Part of being a librarian is providing information and allowing people to inform themselves, form their own opinions. And so I want to encourage all of our listeners to do that. Well said, Jen. And I think at the very least, books have always been and will always be conversation starters. Mm -hmm. So if you can sit down and talk with a family member, a friend, or a loved one over these issues. Good job. Yes. All right. So that wraps up our uh, our podcast, our first podcast of season two. I want to thank everyone for joining us for this month's episode of Between the Lines. And I want to thank you, Nick, for serving as our guest co-host this month. You did a great job. Thank you. You're welcome. And if you're interested in being a team guest host like me, please reach out to Jen or Barbara. Their contact info is in the show notes. And be sure to tune in next month. We'll be back with more books you want to add to your TBR pile. And maybe we should all uh, agree to make it a little lighter next month. We'll see. Yes, let's do that. (laughs) Until next time. Happy Happy reading.